0: Welcome to the December 9, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll learn about a new approach for targeting Janus kinases in CRLF2 rearranged ALL, discuss risk stratification for myeloid leukemia in children with Down syndrome, and learn more about how sialic acid alterations on megakaryocyte antigens regulate immune cells and platelet production. Our first topic examines data presented in the Blood article entitled Degradation of Janus Kinases in CRLF2 Rearranged Acute Lymphoblastic Leukemia by Yun-Chao Chang from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, and colleagues. CRLF2-rearranged ALL is the largest subtype of Philadelphia chromosome-like acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or pH-like ALL, one of the most clinically challenging forms of ALL. In fact, CRLF2-rearranged ALL represents approximately 50% of all Philadelphia-like ALL cases with poor prognosis. The CRLF2 gene encodes cytokine receptor-like factor 2, a subunit bound to JAK2 in the cytokine receptor complex for thymic stromal lymphopoietin, or TSLP. In CRLF2-rearranged ALL, CRLF2 is deregulated and overexpressed, and the majority of cases also have mutations in genes that activate signaling through the JAK-STAT pathway. Among these are activating mutations in JAK2, pointing to aberrant signaling through jak and parallel pathways as central drivers of this hematologic malignancy. However, existing small molecule inhibitors of Janus kinases, such as ruxolitinib, show variable and limited efficacy in CRLF2-rearranged ALL. Therefore, the strategy chosen in this study was to target JAK2 for degradation, using a new therapeutic approach called proteolysis-targeting chimeras, or protax, which has emerged as a promising strategy for disrupting oncogenic pathways in leukemia and other malignancies. Protax are hetero-bifunctional molecules that enable engagement and degradation of a target protein. They contain a ligand that binds an E3-ligase subunit, such as cereblon, connected by a linker to another small molecule— that binds a domain on the target protein, leading to its polyubiquitination and degradation. In the current study, investigators aimed to design novel PROTACs to target JAK2 in CRLF2 rearranged ALL by modifying type 1 JAK inhibitors, ruxolitinib and baricitinib, with a linker and molecules known to mediate PROTAC. To do so. They first had to solve the three-dimensional crystal structures of ruxolitinib and baricitinib bound to the JAK2 tyrosine kinase domain in order to identify exposed regions where a linker could be attached. These studies revealed that the C2 carbon of the pyrimidine ring present in both ruxolitinib and baricitinib is exposed to the solvent, whereas two nitrogen atoms of the pyrimidine ring mediate hydrogen bonding with JAK2. The authors then designed and optimized a series of more than 60 cereblon-directed JAK protax using linkers, derivatives of JAK inhibitors, and either pomalidomide or thalidomide as cereblon-specific molecular glues. They reported the results of detailed testing for four of these compounds, namely compounds 5, 6, 7, and 8. These JAK protax were evaluated for their ability to degrade jak one 2, and 3, as well as their biologic activity in a panel of leukemia and lymphoma cell lines, and in xenograft models of kinase-driven ALL. Notably, all four compounds induced complete inhibition of cell growth at concentrations under 100 nanomolar, with compound 8 demonstrating the greatest inhibitory activity. On the other hand, ruxolitinib was found to be ineffective. The authors further found that the toxicity of protacs in ALL cell lines correlated with the presence of JAK2 mutations and CRLF2 rearrangements. The most active protac also degraded the cereblon neosubstrate GSPT1. Previous studies have found that GSPT1, also known as G1 to S-phase transition 1 protein, is involved in termination of protein translation in response to termination codons as well as in regulation of mammalian cell growth. Interestingly, compound 7, which was effective in degrading all three JAKs, as well as tic 2 and GSPT1, also inhibited tumor growth in the peripheral blood and spleen, and to a smaller extent, in the bone marrow, in xenograft models. The authors also conducted experiments in xenograft cell lines with different mutations, to compare the inhibitory activity of the four compounds of interest with those of ruxolitinib and baricitinib and the thalidomide analog lenalidomide. They found that compound 8 specifically targets JAK2 and that stronger inhibition is exerted by those compounds which also degrade GSPT1. Taken together, these data demonstrate a promising new approach of targeting JAKs in JAKstat-driven ALL using Protax and highlight the potential synergistic effects of simultaneous JAK and GSPT1 degradation activity. In an accompanying commentary, Stefan Constantinescu and Christian Piquet from the Ludwig Institute for Cancer Research in Brussels, Belgium, note that the unraveling of 3D crystal structures of ruxolitinib and baricitinib is groundbreaking in itself since these compounds already have wide applications in the treatment of hematological and autoimmune conditions and even severe COVID-19. Furthermore, they emphasize that study findings lay the groundwork for the use of protax against JAK-mutated malignancies and ways to effectively modify the currently available inhibitors. This approach may be particularly relevant for several subtypes of ALL, where activation of JAK1 and JAK2 occurs via activating mutations in type 1 cytokine receptors, the IL-7 receptor, and CRLF2. Beyond ALL, they note that combining protax with the targeting of other key events in oncogenesis may be a promising way for engineering new therapies against difficult-to-treat malignancies. Next up... We'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled, High-Dose C is Essential for the Treatment of MLDS, Independent of Post-Induction MRD. Results of COG AAML 1531 by Johann Hitzler from the Hospital for Sick Children and University of Toronto in Canada and colleagues. Myeloid leukemia in children with Down syndrome, or MLDS, is a subtype of leukemia that typically presents in children with Down syndrome younger than 4 years. It is characterized by somatic mutations in the megakaryocytic erythroid transcription factor, GATA-1, resulting in a shorter GATA-1 protein lacking the amino terminal. In contrast to AML in children without Down syndrome, MLDS is very sensitive to chemotherapy, and the cure rates, as well as the rates of event-free survival, are high experts hypothesize that the absence of the full-length GATA-1 leads to higher intracellular concentration of citerabine and, in turn, higher sensitivity of leukemic cells to this type of chemotherapy. The prior AAML-0431 trial in patients with MLDS reported an overall survival of 93% and included early introduction of high-dose citerabine. Consequently, The Children's Oncology Group protocol for MLDS developed in this study has been adopted into widespread use. Unfortunately, patients treated with high dose citerabine have been found to be highly susceptible to serious bacterial and viral infections. And although the majority of MLDS has excellent cure rates, 10 to 15 percent of children do not survive, primarily due to relapse or refractory disease. The current study, AAML-1531, introduced treatment stratification of chemotherapy to see if high-dose citerabine during induction could be eliminated for patients with favorable risk, and if higher-risk patients would benefit from more intensified therapy. Risk stratification was performed according to Measurable Residual Disease, or MRD, assessed by flow cytometry at the end of the first induction course a prognostic factor previously identified in the AAML-1531 study. The study enrolled a total of 201 patients with Down syndrome between November 2015 and March 2020. 26 were categorized as high-risk and 114 as standard-risk. Favorable or standard-risk patients identified by negative MRD using flow cytometry did not receive high-dose citerabine. This paper reports the interim analysis of the 114 standard risk patients treated on AAML-1531. The results reveal a significantly lower two-year event-free survival, 85.6% versus 93.5%, compared to patients treated with high-dose citarabine in the prior AAML-0431 study. The overall survival at two years was high, with 91% of patients still alive. A total of 12 standard-risk patients relapsed, with most relapses occurring within one year of study entry. Eleven relapses occurred in the bone marrow and one in the CNS. Only two patients survived, despite intensive treatment and stem cell transplant. Interestingly, complex karyotypes were found in 36% of patients who relapsed, compared to only 9% of those who did not relapse. Taken together... These findings indicate that negative measurable residual disease after the first course of induction therapy did not identify a favorable risk group of MLDS patients who could skip high-dose citerabine. In addition, complex cytogenetics is associated with an increased risk of relapse in standard risk patients. In an accompanying commentary, Shlomit Barzilai Birnboem and Shai Israeli from Schneider Children's Medical Center and Tel Aviv University in Israel. Note that study findings indicate that high-dose citerabine is required to optimize the outcomes in the majority of children with MLDS. They also note that a two-year event-free survival of 85% and overall survival of 91% for children receiving only an intermediate dose of citerabine is still remarkable. Thus, it is reasonable to consider a treatment protocol lacking the more toxic high-dose cytarabine for children with MLDS and severe comorbidities that could complicate treatment. For other patients, however, additional research is needed to decrease the incidence of infectious complications. Finally, as an unmet need, future studies should focus on better understanding the pathogenesis of relapse in MLDS, its early detection and the development of more effective therapies for this subgroup of MLDS with extremely poor prognosis. (music) Lastly, we will review a report published in Blood entitled, Immune Cells Surveil Aberrantly Sialylated O-Glycans on Megakaryocytes to Regulate Platelet Count, by Melissa Lee Sundlove. From Versity Blood Research Institute in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and colleagues. Immune thrombocytopenia, or ITP, is a common platelet disorder in pediatric patients. Both pediatric and adult ITP have been associated with sialic acid alterations. However, the underlying pathophysiology of ITP remains poorly understood. Prior research has shown that in approximately 60% of patients with ITP, increased clearance of platelets which is believed to be autoantibody-mediated, occurs in the spleen or liver. However, splenectomies have shown varying therapeutic success. Interestingly, desialylation has been implicated in platelet clearance in various conditions, including infection and ITP, and it also plays a role in the removal of aged platelets. In several recent studies, treatment with the sialidase inhibitor oseltamivir led to increased platelet counts in healthy and thrombocytopenic patients. Other studies have found that human genetic mutations involving sialic acid synthesis and transport or atypical cell surface sialylation unrelated to any genetic mutation are associated with a reduced platelet count. However, it remains unclear whether, and if so how, thrombopoiesis is affected by megakaryocyte desialylation. In the current study, the authors conducted a series of human and animal studies to investigate whether megakaryocyte sialylation has any regulatory effects on platelet production in ITP. An analysis of pediatric ITP plasma samples revealed increased representation of anti Thomson friedenreich antigen, or TF antigen, suggesting increased exposure of the typically sialylated and thus masked TF antigen. To investigate whether TF antigen exposure is indeed related to thrombocytopenia, the authors generated a mouse model in which the gene ST3-GAL1, encoding O-glycan-sialyltransferase, an enzyme that adds sialic acid on the TF antigen, is deleted in megakaryocytes. They found that TF antigen exposure was increased and restricted to megakaryocytes in these mice, leading to thrombocytopenia, with platelet counts approximately 50% of those observed in control mice. Interestingly, either treatment with dexamethasone or targeted deletion of JAK3 reversed the thrombocytopenia in mice with targeted deletion of ST3-Gal1 in megakaryocytes, pointing to an involvement of immune cells. In addition, the authors observed normalization of platelet count following inhibition of type 1 interferon and sialic acid-binding immunoglobulin-like lectin H, or Siglec H, receptors. This led them to deduce that Siglec H-positive bone marrow immune cells engage with O-glycan sialic acid moieties to regulate type one interferon secretion and platelet release. Single-cell RNA sequencing experiments revealed that TF antigen exposure by megakaryocytes primed immune cells to release type one interferon in mice with megakaryocyte deletion of ST3-Gal1. These studies further revealed the existence of a unique subtype of immune cells with a plasma cytoid dendritic cell gene signature, which also had increased concentrations of immunoglobulin rearrangement gene transcripts, IgKC, and IgHM. This suggests that additional immune regulatory mechanisms may be involved apart from type 1 interferons. Co-culture experiments of plasma cytoid dendritic cells with megakaryocytes from ST3-GAL1-deleted mice showed that they could inhibit proplatelet formation via secretion of type 1 interferon and, potentially, through involvement of ciglic H. Taken together, these findings point to a new role of plasma cytoid dendritic-like immune cells in regulating platelet release in mice through type 1 interferon secretion, by detecting megakaryocyte O-glycan sialylation. These results also highlight the importance of altered sialylation in patients with ITP. In an accompanying commentary, Taisuke Kanaji from Scripps Research in La Jolla, California, notes that the study by Lee Sundlove paves the way to a better understanding of the molecular mechanisms of immune-mediated and other causes of thrombocytopenia. He believes that the most important finding is the recognition of desialylated megakaryocytes by immune cells and their regulatory effect on platelet production, which was demonstrated in ex vivo co-culture experiments. However, Kanage also emphasizes that the findings from ex vivo experiments should be proven by depleting plasma cytoid dendritic cells in vivo, and that the contribution of ciglic H needs to be further investigated using ciglic H knockout mice. He hypothesizes that, in addition to their role in the progression of disease, plasma cytoid dendritic cells may also participate in the initiation of ITP. Further research is warranted to answer this question and to determine the exact role of plasma cytoid dendritic cells in the pathophysiology of ITP. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.